come after me. He must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? In the 1920s and 30s, there was a Christian pastor in Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was ministering at a church and he witnessed the rise of the Nazi party and in particular the rise of power of Adolf Hitler. And there was a lot of social pressure for Christians and pastors to just mind their own business. This doesn't concern you. This is politics. That's religion. You speak there, don't say anything about this. And while other pastors were silent about what was happening, he had to speak out because it grieved his heart. And while other Christians and other pastors were watching silently as their Jewish citizens and brothers and sisters were loaded onto boxcars and shipped out to who knows where, he openly preached against it. And while other Christians and pastors were silently hearing speeches and watching the events play out before them, he organized counter-movements, peacefully, legally. But in 1935, he was branded as an enemy of the state and was targeted to be arrested. Friends and associates made arrangements for him to get out of the country, to safely make it to England. But while he was there, he couldn't rest. He was grieved that he was here in safety while the church in Germany burned. And while he was in London, he wrote a book titled The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he opens up the first chapter with this discussion of what he calls cheap grace. He says the church of his day was guilty of preaching cheap grace. Cheap grace, he said, as opposed to free grace, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is a preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. After being in London for a couple of years, Bonhoeffer smuggled himself back into Nazi Germany. Believing he could not be true to Christ if he didn't follow Christ's call. Even if that meant going back into a place or he was physically endangered. 
Not long after he returned, he was arrested by the Gestapo, convicted of being an enemy of the state, charged with treason. He spent the rest of World War II in various concentration camps, and just before Germany collapsed, one of the last things it did was to execute Dietrich Bonhoeffer by hanging him for being a traitor. So was he right? Is there a cost for discipleship? Have we, the church in the modern world, bought into a cheap version of grace? When Jesus calls a man, does he really call him to come and die? I mean, after all, doesn't God want you to live your best life right now? Isn't it God's will that every Christian be happy and healthy and prosperous? Nearly a hundred years later, another young Christian pastor named David Platt authored a book called Radical. And in it he said, radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It's not comfort, not health, not wealth, not prosperity in this world, Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ. And he is more than enough for us. We are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Can that really be right? Could it be that God would actually lead a person to a position of sacrifice? Could God call a man to do everything exactly right and yet endure poverty or risk? Isn't the gospel all about being well-fed and perfectly healthy in every way, and secure, and blessed. What did Jesus say about all this? Well, that's where we ought to start, don't you think? Start where Jesus spoke? If we're following Jesus, isn't that logical? Luke 9.23, he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, if anyone want to walk where I walked, he has to deny himself, take up his cross every day, and follow me. What does it take to be a Christian? I mean, if you're going to take that name Christ and apply it to yourself, I am a Christian, what all is involved in that? How hard is it, really? We have sanitized that process, removed every obstacle, lowered every bar. Man, just walk down an aisle of a church, shake a preacher's hand, fill out a little white card, and you're in. He might ask you to get wet, as long as you want to, that's all right. You have to say a little prayer, but relax, just repeat after me. You don't even have to think about what you're saying, right? 
Every year, literally hundreds of thousands of children will attend vacation Bible school during the summer. Amen? And that's a good thing. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm going to throw a rock, but I don't really want to hit anyone all that hard. Okay? And every year, hundreds of thousands of Christians will hear the gospel at these vacation Bible schools. And that's a good thing. It really is. For the last 20 years, at least, vacation Bible schools, among Southern Baptist churches anyway, have taught that becoming a Christian is as easy as ABC. And this is repeated in every Bible school and every material that I have seen among Southern Baptists for at least 20 years. ABC, being a Christian is as easy as ABC. Now I pick on Southern Baptists because I are one, okay? And if you're a part of our church, guess what? We don't make a big deal out of it, but you are one too. That's what we are. It's what I know, and because I am one, I get to throw rocks at it, okay? Becoming, being a Christian is as easy as ABC. A, admit to God that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. And C, confess through prayer that you want Jesus to forgive your sins and give you a home in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that clever? Isn't that simple? The only problem with it is Jesus never said that. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. If you want to follow me, you have to make a sacrifice. If you want to follow me, you have to every day make the decision. I'm picking up my cross, and I will walk like Jesus walked. Luke 14.33, Jesus said, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And it seems to me as I read through the gospel stories, Jesus was never interested in making it easy to be a disciple. Amen? Jesus never attempted to lower the bar. Jesus wasn't interested in masses or crowds as much as he was interested in a few who would totally sell out to being like him. Who would think the way he thought, who would act the way he acted, who would love the way he loved, and who were committed to a radical kind of obedience. Is it just me or have you noticed it's gotten eerily quiet in here? We have totally turned this gospel message upside down and backwards because we preach, please, oh, pretty please, accept Jesus as your Savior and allow Jesus to forgive your sins. He's not going to ask for much. He won't cause you any problems. All he wants to do is help you. Accept Jesus? Allow Jesus? We have in our minds this picture of Jesus alone in the cold in the night, hungry and impoverished, knocking on the door of our heart, saying, please let me in. 
when in reality, we're the ones who are in trouble. In reality, we're the ones who are drowning in a sea of our own wickedness. We're the ones in danger. We're the ones in need of rescue. It's like asking, would you please allow the lifeguard to save you from drowning? Would you please allow the paramedic to stop your bleeding? Would you please allow the doctor to restart your heartbeat? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. There is no salvation apart from repentance. And there is no repentance without surrender. You don't make Jesus Lord. Jesus is already Lord, God the Father made Jesus Lord. We surrender. We stop our rebellion. And we turn from a life dominated by my will, my want, my need, my desires, my ambitions, my goals. This is what I want to do because I enjoy it. To a life that is dominated by what does Christ desire of me? And I hold nothing back. The only thing Jesus will ever ask you for is everything you got. That's all. Surrender everything. Give me everything. What do you mean by that, fat boy? I mean everything. Every stinking thing. Remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and asked him this really great question. He came to Jesus, he fell on his knees and said, Good master, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus gave the stock answer. Well, you know, just follow the commandments, be good to your parents, you know, obey the Big Ten. And the guy said, but I've been doing that and I'm still missing something. And Jesus gave them this answer. Luke 18, 22. When Jesus heard this, he said, you still lack one thing. You need to join a good Bible-believing church and attend every Sunday. You need to spend at least 15 minutes in the morning with a quick open windows type devotion and a prayer before you hit the door, right? You still lack one thing. Sell Everything you got, give it to the poor. You'll have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. Well, yeah, but Jesus would never ask me to give up everything, would he? Yeah. Always. Luke 14, 25. Large crowds are traveling with Jesus and turning to them. You get this? Large crowds. Lots of people. The crowds are following him. And Jesus turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me 
and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Woof. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Skipping down to verse 33, in the same way any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And as a result of that, large crowds stopped following Jesus. And he was okay with that. Remember there was this time when a teacher of the law, a lawyer, an expert in Jewish legal matters, came to Jesus trying to trip him up in his words, and they were asking him questions, and he was answering them. And, and the lawyer finally said, okay, what's the greatest commandment? What's the highest law? Where do you want us to, what's your mark? Where do we aim at? And Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That verse is not a surprise to anybody in this room, right? You know that. You know that's what God wants. What does it mean? What do you do with that verse? Let's get personal with it, if I haven't been personal yet, right? Love the Lord your God with all your money. I don't like that. Love the Lord your God with all your property. Love the Lord your God with all of your time. Love the Lord your God with every vacation day you get. Well, that ain't fair. Love the Lord your God with all of your dreams, all of your goals, all of your ambitions. Love the Lord your God with every relationship. Love the Lord your God with all of your hobbies. See, the only thing Jesus ever asked for is everything. But it's fair. Because that's all he gave to you was his everything. Right? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, Jesus told this parable. He said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man, man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Well, that was a stupid thing to do. No. He sold everything he had. Yeah. But there was a treasure there. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. The demands of discipleship are huge. They really are. 
say, Mark, you're talking about work salvation. No, I'm not. I am talking about a salvation that works. See, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we all quote, For by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works that no man should boast. But verse 10 goes on to say, For are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do great works. And God has prepared them for you before the foundation of the world. You are saved to do amazing things. The cost of following Jesus is all you got, including family, possessions, relationships, even your own life, but it's worth it. Following Jesus is the treasure in a field, and you're not a fool to sell off everything you own to gain the treasure. Following Jesus is that pearl of great price. It's worth giving up everything else to gain. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, I once thought all these things were so very important. But now, I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless, when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I've discarded everything else. Counting it all as garbage. So that I may have Christ. And become one with him. I no longer count my own goodness or my own ability to obey God's law. But I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. As a result, I can really know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I can learn what it means to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that somehow I can experience the resurrection from the dead. In verse 25 of our text, Jesus asks this question. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Imagine this with me. It probably won't be hard to think about. A person, a man, a lady, work hard all their life, make sacrifices, work late nights, miss birthday parties and celebrations and family gatherings, miss baseball games, even playoff games because of the man of the job. They strive to meet quotas. They put in overtime because they're dedicated to climbing the ladder of success. Y'all with me? You imagine that scene in your mind? And after doing this for years, finally, they arrive at the top of that ladder and they take a moment to survey, to look around them and they discover the ladder's been leaning against the wrong wall. And they arrive at a place they really never wanted to be. Finally get everything they wanted. 
but discover it wasn't what they wanted after all. Simple truth. There is nothing that you can hold in your hand that you'll be able to bring with you to eternity. Jim Elliott was a missionary in Ecuador. He and four friends were committed to reaching unreached people groups. And in that area, they discovered a tribe that no one had any contact with. No one spoke the language. No one knew the people. They were completely untouched, even by the other local natives. They were called the Warani. And somehow through a series of events, and it's a long story, they found out where they were. They began to fly flies and and little contacts, little touch, gaining their trust. They decided that they were going to go to that place and buy a little Piper Cub airplane. They were going to land on a riverbank and set up camp. And they lost contact. They didn't call in. Day turned into two days, turned into a week. The ones back home began to worry about them. The other native tribes had warned them strongly, don't seek contact with these people. They're dangerous. The army wouldn't even go into that area. But Jim Elliott and four others believed God was leading them to bring the gospel there. After three weeks, search parties found the bodies. They had been slaughtered, hacked to death with spears. In his journal, Jim Elliott wrote these words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Their wives continued to make contact with that tribe. And the tribe was ashamed and embarrassed by their actions. And they all received the gospel. It's a great story. Folks, there's nothing you can hold in your hand that you can keep for eternity. And in the end, no matter what you cling to in this life, you're going to lose it anyway. We stand before the judgment seat of God empty-handed. That's the way it works. There's only one life. He'll soon be passed. Only those things done for Christ will last. The man's of discipleship are huge. The whole purpose of the gospel is not to find yourself, not to feel good about yourself, not to exalt yourself. The purpose of the gospel is to deny yourself and discover who you are and what you're worth in the eyes of your Creator. From that point, we deny self. So that Christ can come alive in us. Paul wrote in Galatians. I am crucified with Christ. 
Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a challenge. To give up on a self-controlled life and in receiving the gospel to allow Christ to come to life in you. Let's pray. Happy trail.